Welcome back to another Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com. I'm your host, Doug LeMaurice. Follow me on Twitter at Doug LeMaurice. Read me at Cleveland.com. Continuing and finishing our tour of the AFC North this week on Takes by the Lake. We've done the Ravens. We've done the Bengals. Today, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And our guest is Jeremy Fowler of ESPN and ESPN.com. He uh, was in Cleveland at one time covering the Browns has been in Pittsburgh for several years, covers the whole league, and does a great job helping us break down Ben Roethlisberger, his future, uh, where the Steelers are in their arc as a franchise, um, everything they do well, and and could that ever change? And could we ever see a world where the Steelers are not at the top of the AFC North? So we have a great uh, breakdown with Jeremy. Again, if you guys missed the previous ones, we did the Ravens. Uh, three weeks ago, last week we did the Bengals, and now we're doing the Steelers. We'll figure out something to do after this. Uh, again, maybe get into other teams, but we like doing Browns here. There's a lot going on with the Browns and the AFC North. So uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jeremy Fowler. I certainly did. Again, you can listen to all of our podcasts at cleveland.com slash podcasts. That's the easiest place to find all of them. That's the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Tons of stuff happening with the Cavs in the finals, Joe Varden and Chris Fedor. That's the Orange and Brown Talk with Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Labe. That's Cleveland Baseball Talk with Joe Noga and Paul Hoynes. And of course, Buckeye Talk with me, Bill Landis, and Tim Bielek. So go to cleveland.com slash podcasts. Get subscribed separately to all those podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. And please enjoy this breakdown of the Pittsburgh Steelers And what the Steelers mean for the Browns. This is a breakdown of the Steelers through a Cleveland lens with the help of the great Jeremy Fowler. So grateful he's here to to help us dig into this. He knows the NFL. He knows the AFC North. He knows the Steelers. So, Jeremy, I want to hit Pittsburgh specifically a little bit before we break out to the AFC North. And and, and I'm going to go giant big picture question that's probably impossible to answer. But I know you can handle it. When will the will the Steelers ever be bad again? We know they have not has a, had a losing record since Ben Roethlisberger got there. I think it's 10 of 14 years in the playoffs with Ben. But they're a great franchise. They're a great historic franchise. Could you ever imagine a world where the Steelers like hit any extended period of being down? Or is this a franchise that has things in place that you think, you know even if they have one year of a step back at some point, that they're always going to be competitive because they're the Steelers. Yeah. Well, there's an element of that, Doug, but if if you take the NFL at face value now, you can get really good in a hurry, you can get really bad in a hurry. Uh, it depends on the quarterback, right? So we know the Patriots are not going to be bad with Tom Brady, uh, and we know the Steelers are always going to be competitive with Ben Roethlisberger. They have a chance in every game with him. Uh, but in three years, he retires. Let's say you know Mason Rudolph or whoever else replaces him is, is mediocre at best. Then you know you're, you're sort of uh, middle of the pack all of a sudden. And you know Bill Cowher had some bad years. Chuck Knoll had some bad years. Uh, Mike Tomlin hasn't had a bad year yet, which I think he probably doesn't get enough credit for, uh, despite some of the, the postseason struggles that he's had. But they've never been worse than eight and eight. And so uh, you know, at least in the next three to five years, they're going to be competitive. They should be a playoff team pretty much every year, but Antonio Brown's going to be 30. Le'Veon Bell can't run the ball forever, and Roethlisberger will eventually retire. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely a chance, 2020 and beyond, that they could be pretty mediocre. Right now, right now, are they 
trending up this year? Are they trending down? Are they going to be just, I mean, they were really good. They were 13 and three last year. Are they just as good as last year? Like, where are they in this moment in time right now? Again, you talked about, you know, Antonio Brown's getting a little older. We know Ben's getting a little older, but is this still an absolute Super Bowl contender in your mind? Still a contender. Um, I'm not ready to say that they're an improvement from last year because, uh, you know, they're just two big questions to me based on two crazy good athletes that they've lost that you just can't replace and fill in. That's Ryan Chazier and Martavis Bryant. Despite the problems they have with Martavis Bryant, he was just sort of a unique uh, unicorn type athlete where he drew safety help. Antonio Brown's numbers are way better with Martavis Bryant. Uh, now, now, granted, Brown's great regardless. He's going to get his. But um, I think there is an element of that. You know, how do they replace him on offense? I don't think they're just going to roll the ball out and be great uh, unless, you know, they really catch a rhythm like they did the end of last year. And so they got to find a way to go deep and, and give Brown some breathing room in the middle of the field. So they draft the James Washington. A lot's on James Washington as, as a second-round pick to balance things out as sort of that third option um, behind Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. And so, when Ryan Shazier, I mean, they, you know, they gave up 150 yards rushing in three, at least in three of the last six games last year, um, which they know is a huge problem. They've even been tweaking that already, trying to get more help up front uh, in just like the lineups I've seen at, at OTAs. And so they know it's a problem. They know they can't replace Ryan Shazier, so they went and picked up a bunch of safeties instead that they can move up and then hopefully – have you know like a bunch of linebackers and safety stopping the run or stopping the pass on third down. So um, those to me are major questions that could make this team go anywhere from ten and six to thirteen and three again. It's just it's it's sort of wide open to me right now. I don't necessarily know that they've gotten better, but they are still a contender. Okay, okay. Let's go to Ryan Shazier while you while you brought him up. Um, we know there's such a personal story there and and certainly people in Ohio have especially been following that Um, but there's a football story and it's okay to talk about football about this you know everybody the first thing is everybody wants Ryan Shazier to get better but in a a defense like that I mean it's impossible right you sort of said that but when you pull out an an all-pro caliber linebacker that you expected to be playing at that level for another five seven eight years and all of a sudden he's gone it's impossible to, to, you, you know, you, so they're trying, but you have to take a step back there, right? Yeah, you do. I, what benefits them now is that they have a year to prepare for it, and they have contingency plans now, where last year they just didn't. Uh, he was playing at a really high level before he went out, and everything sort of changed, and then all of a sudden they couldn't stop the run, and that wasn't all because of him. There were some other factors of that, uh, and, you know, teams adjusted on them, but, you know, they, they don't uh, – it's just he, he was sort of – the athlete that he was was going to earn him $50, 60000000 million this offseason if he hadn't been hurt. And so, yeah. you know, that kind of player you don't replace. And, you know, Vince Williams is a good linebacker. Uh, John Bostick, they picked up. He's probably more of a stopgap. Some people I talked to around the league don't necessarily think he's a starter, but he has started games and has been productive at times. So if he can be serviceable there, and then, you know, Terrell Edmonds, the first-round pick, Morgan Burnett, they picked up safety and free agency. If those guys can all do just enough to pick up his slack, then they still have enough pass rushers that they can get sacks. And T.J. Watt's a guy that really I think could be, you know, he can make a huge leap in year two. He's just that kind of all-around player. He's good for the modern game. He's got the pedigree. You know, so if he can make a jump and help offset some of Shazier's loss in the middle of the field, that will help. Okay. 
Let's stick on defense for a second. This is again sort of a Browns-related question. Where is Joe Hayden in in the arc of his career right now? Is is he someone that the Steelers are are still going to rely on in 2018? Is he getting? Is he a liability out there at all? Is he maybe still a guy who can who can be a great corner on some Sundays? Where do you think he is? I mean, you know, Joe Hayden for the Steelers was a gift from heaven. I mean, yeah, he. He might not be the same corner he was when he was 25, but he's still uh, an above-average cornerback, and he is their best corner. So much so that his cap hit is over $11 million, and they didn't blink. They said, we're going to pay it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's rare for them at that spot, too. So uh, I think Joe Hayden's a guy that, that Mike Tomlin has long admired, and he played like a healthy player last year. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd been hurt in Cleveland the last few years, and... and you know, is is he a raw, you know, four three forty guy at corner who's you know going to be able to, to just dominate games? Probably not. But he's he was really solid for them, and uh, you know, so they they feel like with him in place, they can develop the guys that they've drafted as sort of second and third corners behind them. And so they actually at that spot for the first time in a while are pretty solidified because of Joe. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's go back to the offense. That's off- offense is always fun. Um, you mentioned James Washington and, and the role he's going to have to play. I think there's a perception, at least maybe from here in Cleveland, probably around the league, it feels like, well, if the Steelers draft a receiver, they're going to make him be good. You know, Juju yeah. Smith-Schuster is a second-round guy who, who looks like he's going to be great. Is there is there something the Steelers do particularly well in developing young receivers so that they can make an impact pretty quickly and be very good, or is that a product of when you have Antonio Brown on the field taking that kind of attention that it helps other receivers be good, or or did they just happen to make some really good picks that the players are that yeah. good? Like, is there should we just assume James Washington's going to be great? <laughs> I mean, the track record says yes, and it's probably a, a combination of everything you mentioned. I mean, they are good at evaluating the position. Um, but they're not so good at evaluating other positions. So you wonder what's the rhyme and reason. And, you know, there's a little bit of luck, but there's a little bit of development there. That they just, they've had the right coaches. And really, Todd Haley, I'll give him a lot of credit, uh, now who's in Cleveland. You know, he uh, he had his hand in Martavis Bryant. He fought for him to be drafted in the fourth round. He saw big talent there. Um, and Juju as well. You know, they, they just... They know how to work these guys. You, know, you see them at, at practices, and they're they're working on like sideline catches all day. You know, they're always on the jugs machine. Like the, I think they just know how to develop these guys pretty well. And Antonio Brown sort of sets a tone. He's just he's a tireless worker. He works literally trains all the time. You see it on Instagram at you know midnight training at some random gym in some random place in the U.S. So um, he sets a tone for everybody else. And Ben has a big part of that too. I mean, Roethlisberger. Um, he's he's shown that he can win with various receivers. You know, take uh, Marcus Wheaton, you know, mm-hmm. who just signed with the Eagles, caught like a few passes last year with the Bears, but the years before with Ben, he was catching 50 passes and scoring touchdowns. So uh, it certainly helps to have a franchise guy. Let's. You mentioned Todd Haley. Let's talk about Todd Haley in, in two different ideas. First, we'll talk about in Pittsburgh, Randy yeah. Fickner taking over there. Obviously, Randy's been there a long time, but... Will the, will the Steelers' offense change substantially at all that Todd Haley is gone, or are they just going to kind of do what they do that's been successful? Well, it's funny. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was asked about the offense the other day, and he, he kind of joked, who are we playing week one, Cleveland? Okay, well, then it's a completely different offense because <laughs> he didn't want to tip off Haley or anybody. But, 
they it's not going to be an overhaul. I think that Randy Randy Fickner will put his his tweets and his stamp on things, and we haven't seen enough yet to know what that is completely. Um, but I think the playbook is going to be roughly the same. I mean, you know, Ben Roethlisberger throwing a deep out to Antonio Brown is, is clockwork for them. They're going to run that play a lot. And so, you know, you're not going to see an overhaul, but I think you're going to see, um, you know, they're just going to have to get creative with uh, keeping Ben upright still. That's that's a huge deal. You know, his sacks are way down the last three years, uh, pretty much averaging about 20 sacks a game compared to almost 40 for most of his career. Hmm. So running the ball with Bell, quick passing game, you're going to see a lot of that. And I think they want to they want to unlock the code from last year where they were averaging four yards a carry with Bell. They figure they got a great line, one of the best backs in the league. Why are we struggling a little bit to run the ball? So I think you're going to see that as an emphasis. What do you think of Todd Haley as an offensive mind in this league? And, and, and did it make sense to you that, that it maybe was just time for him to move on from Pittsburgh? And, and, and what is your expectation of what he will be or won't be able to do uh, in Cleveland? You know, he's not bringing Ben and Antonio yeah. Brown and Le'Veon Bell with him, but this guy right. has a track record too. Yeah, it's just it's a fascinating case study, you know, and it's he's a good coach. I mean, there's just there's no debating that the numbers bear that out in Pittsburgh, and uh, you know, Roethlisberger was was at the best of his career with Todd Haley, and Antonio Brown, same thing, you know. So, and the, the wide receiver production. I mean, he, he's got a lot going for him. Um, you know, it's you can't. I know the personality uh, topic is big with him, and. and I mean, look, he, he's a, he demands a lot as a coach, and he would admit that. Roethlisberger, um, you know, it just the rumors, you know, the whispers of them not getting along just did not go away. No matter who you talked to, it, it always loomed. People knew it. It was just, I don't know if it was two, you know, two hot rods that just didn't, you know, they, they didn't spark together. They just kind of sparked each other up a little bit. And it didn't work out. But, it, you know, six years at the same time, you go six years at a place like Pittsburgh and don't win a Super Bowl, probably anybody's going to have to move on. Yeah. You know, you got to win at some point, and six years is a long time. So uh, I think the natural, um, I think it had, the relationship had played itself out that way as well. And so I, the, the guy's good. I think he's perfect for Cleveland. I really do. Um, you know, he, especially with young guys in a place where he haven't won in a while, you know, he, he's going to demand a lot, and he's going to be fiercely competitive, and that, that works at a place like that right now. At Pittsburgh, it probably ran its course. It will work in Cleveland. Okay, okay. And when you see so, – so, again, you, you know the whole league. You know the whole AFC North. Do you see pieces when Cleveland adds Jarvis Landry and if, if, if Josh Gordon is going to be on the field for a full season and have they bring in Carlos Hyde and draft Nick Chubb? And, again, yeah. that doesn't equal Le'Veon Bell – but but right. they're getting some pieces together. They they maybe have you know a young tight end in David and Joku who they might be able to work a little bit. Do you yeah. see some chess pieces that Todd Haley might be able to move around? Yeah, I do, and I, I think that's partly why he took the job. He's, he okay. saw that and he knew he was going to get a new quarterback. And you know, it's really if you just <laughs> the fascinating thing with Cleveland is they switch quarterbacks so much at such a quick trigger pace, pulling the, the you know pulling a guy two three games in all the time, especially Kaiser last year. You got to think if they just play Tyrod Taylor for 16 games, let's say, right? Yep. And you ride him out for the ups and downs. You know, he at least kept Buffalo respectable because he doesn't turn the ball over and he's mobile. And he might not be great making third down throws on the intermediate level, but 
you know, he, he, he has gotten the job done, and some people around the league are still really high on him. So um, if you ride him out and let him develop those weapons, you should win some games, right? Um, it's hard to put a cap on where they're at now, but if you just stay patient for this year, you should see market improvement based on the talent that you have. And I think when you pick up guys like Landry, you're just you're, it's not even necessarily the production. You're just trying to set a tone with a guy who's fiercely competitive, wants to win, is going to play physical, is going to block, is going to do all those little things. Um, and that, you know, that should resonate and permeate the rest of the locker room. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, there's still some holes there. And, and Nick Chubb, you know, is, is fascinating because I thought they were going to get a pass catching running back, you know, a guy who's, who's mobile and he can throw the ball 40, 50 times too, but maybe that's what Duke Johnson's still for as a guy who uses a versatile weapon. Um, so I'm curious to see what they do with that backfield if it's consistent enough. So, Jeremy, again, the the whole AFC North, we know the Steelers have, have owned the division and the Ravens and Bengals have been right there as of late as teams that yeah. that compete for a playoff spot more years than not. And the Browns have basically been been almost two free wins for the other teams. Um, do you think, you see Ben's getting older, you see a, a probable quarterback transition coming in Baltimore, maybe not this year, but next year. Um, Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis, you know, they, they've, they've been good, but they've never won a playoff game. Yeah. Is, is the AFC North possibly in flux? Or do you expect that, you know, the Steelers are going to be on top. Maybe the Browns will get a little better, but the Ravens and Bengals are still going to be good, and maybe it won't change that much. Or do you think maybe three years from now, the AFC North could look very different than it has for the last several years? Yeah, it's that's a hard question because I think you point to the roster dynamics. Those are shifting a little bit. And with Bennett 36, even though he finished the year really strong, you just don't know. Um, even with Tom Brady, you don't know when the bottom's going to fall out, right? Yep. Yep. It could be at age 38, could be age 42. Um, but so that, you know, Ben's last chapter will, will determine a lot of, of the course of the AFC North. But yes. um, you still look at, you know, Cleveland for 12, 13 years, 14 years, can't beat him. Cincinnati can't beat him. So I just don't know how much that's going to, why is that going to change now, right? Right, yeah. Um, despite some roster moves. And, and Cincinnati really hasn't done much at all to get better. Uh, that I've seen, and, and so that they're still, you know, still tied to Andy Dalton for better or worse, and he just has not made a jump. And I know that's not all his fault, but um, it's it's they almost seem right now resigned to their fate as sort of an eight and eight type team. And so, you know, Baltimore to me, you know, when they're pushing Pittsburgh, and they can push them like nobody else, then you know they are a serious contender. Um, and you know, Lamar Jackson might just by his presence improve Joe Flacco. He's never really had any pressure on him, and he needs the pressure to be applied because of the way he's played the last few years. And I still don't know what they're doing at receiver. It seems like they're just throwing a lot of the wall and hoping for the best and grabbing veterans, and I, I still don't know what they got there. Um, but if they can get enough production at that spot, the defense is going to be solid again. And, you know, I, I think they're a playoff team this year. Really? Okay. Um, okay. Just, you know, yep. like, I, I just they have too much success. They, you know, they've had um, they have too much of a pedigree to go, what, four straight years of just kind of mediocre football. I just don't see it. So w- when you have someone like Ben, I think that's an interesting point you make. It's not just that Ben um, is sort of you know defining what the next couple of years of the Steelers are going to look like, obviously. It's he controls this whole division. 
that that he's a, he is the son, and everything else circles around this guy in Pittsburgh who who's never had a losing season. Um, uh, how do you feel like the Steelers are handling that? Like when you have a guy like that, do you just do everything you need to do to continue to surround him with as much talent as possible on offense, keep him happy? Maybe he's a little prickly. Maybe he, you know, floats some retirement stuff now and then. But you know what? Like we are so lucky to have him. You do whatever you have to do to keep Ben Roethlisberger happy and on your roster. Or at some point, will this reach the point where there's, I don't know, something between the Steelers and Ben that that maybe tells you it just needs to end? Well, I think they're trying to reconcile those two sides right now because uh, on some levels, they're still all in with him. They know he's got, I think they project he's got a few prime years left. Um, And so they want to capitalize on that. And so it's all or nothing in that case, but the Mason Rudolph pick tells you a lot because even though they they had a first round grade on him to take him requires, you know, um, it requires some level of resolve knowing that this could be an issue. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, Rob Roethlisberger said it himself. We could have gotten a win now player in that third round. And instead we got a quarterback that's probably not going to play for three to five years because that's how long I want to play. And so that inherently creates an issue and a little bit of tension. So I, you know, in that case, I give the Steelers credit for, sticking to their their scouting basically and saying well hey we had a high grade on this guy we got to take a chance see what happens and you know ben is occasionally hurt so um it, it's it's just a fascinating time here as a result because they know they're all in on, on him and um he's still playing well but they're trying to invest and plan for the future at the same time and and i don't know that you can properly do both perfectly but they're they're trying to do that clearly okay um, and, and rudolph's the guy it looks like to you know in four or five years i mean they I know Kevin Colbert likes him enough to, to feel that way, assuming he develops the way that they think he will. Okay. And so it, it's interesting. It's a tough spot, you know, because he's – they're clearly not trying to please him by making that pick. Right. And so – but they're still trying to – you know, and with Martavis too. He didn't like that trade either. Right. Um, so they're, they're sort of betting on their organizational success in that regard too, that it's not, you know, all about the quarterback, that they they feel like they can put the right roster together. Okay. I just want to hit Le'Veon Bell really quickly. Is Obviously, this is all about Ben, but is there anything with Le'Veon Bell and his continued contract status that that would be at any point a catalyst for the Steelers organization changing significantly, that they have to do something with him or that that becomes enough of an issue to really do something to the team? Or... They'll get that figured out. Contract stuff comes up, whatever. He's a great player. That'll work out fine. And in the end, it's just all about, like, as long as Ben is here and happy, they're going to be good. Well, they they don't take his talent for granted. They don't just think that James Conner or fifth-round pick Jalen Samuels will replace Lanyon Bell, right? So they they know on some levels that they need him. Okay. And he he knows that. Which is part of the problem, right? I mean, they, you know, they've they've offered him two big contracts, big ones, and he's turned them down. Uh, he's just he's a guy of conviction. He says, "Hey, I'm worth this. I'm a running back. I'm fighting for running backs. We're devalued. I hate that, and so this is what I'm going to get for everybody." And uh, so it's it's just fascinating because they're not used to that. They're used to just getting deals done, and uh, so you know, they. I mean, 2018, they need them. They know that. They're they're. I mean, it would, I would be shocked. If they just you know pulled the tag or something like that, I mean they've still been you know they let him talk 
publicly about how he feels about the contract, and they haven't really responded. They've just stayed optimistic. Um, and I think they're optimistic because their their offers have been big and they're not far off, so they can just cover a little bit of middle ground and do a, a deal that they could get out of in two to three years if they need to. Then everybody's happy. Um, and so, you know, but they're also prepared for every contingency. If he just has to play the tag and leave in 2019, they're prepared to do that as well. So I, I think that I think they have a breaking point on that money. Um, and so it's the, the problem is camp, right? Because last year he missed training camp. And he averaged about 3.5 yards of carry in his first three games. And then he got going a little bit. But that, you know, I mean, he's a patient runner. You know, he starts the ball, he grabs it, he's on two feet before he goes, right? It's, it's different than Ezekiel and some of those guys. And so that requires some rhythm with the offensive line. And so mm-hmm. I think that's sort of the issue. You come to camp or, you know, you show up in September, you haven't taken a hit in nine months. Um, you know, even the best athletes, it's going to take a little bit of time. Okay. Okay. So I think that's that's a little bit more their concern right now than the actual money. Okay. All right, Jeremy. I just want to get your your final take, sort of from where you are covering the league from Pittsburgh, having been here in Cleveland in the past. Does this seem any different to you with what the Browns are doing, or is this just the latest situation in Cleveland where people think, yeah, this is it. They're getting it right this time. And then it's going to be just like it was before with Brandon Whedon and Trent Richardson and Johnny Manziel and Justin Gilbert, and that it looks good now, but it's going to fall apart. Do do you have any different vibe on Cleveland right now than the recent past? I I do, personally. Okay. Um, Just because of the scouting component. I mean, they, they went all in on just reputable football guys, you know. Elliot Wolf, Alonzo Hyatt-Smith, Scott McLuhan. I mean, all these guys are like, loaded with good experience. Like, they've drafted good players all their life. Um, John Dorsey will be the same. So, you know, it's – yeah, at some point, you got to think it's going to work. Just by default, right? If you go 50% in the draft, you get a few stars. Right. Like, you got to think something's going to click. Um, and just, you know, I, let Tyrod play. I don't know. I, I, just, I don't know. I'm sure he's, if he struggles in three games, that they're going to cry for Baker. I just don't know. But that's the best option. Let him ride it out. He doesn't throw a lot of turnovers. He'll probably win some games just by ball control, winning seventeen to thirteen. Um, so, but it's 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 hard because they've just never shown it for however long it's been, and so it's hard to say it's going to be different until you see it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I on the surface, I like some of the pieces they've met, they've put together. Um, you know, I just even with Baker though, it's. It's fascinating because all four top quarterbacks, they all had their issues, all of them. And so it's just like they've never hit the year where you get the surefire number one pick. You know, like the, like the can't miss. I guess Andrew Luck was considered a can't miss a couple years ago. Right. Um, like they just can't. They never get the right year. And they had Carson and they, they traded. Um, could have got Deshaun and they traded. So it's like they just it's the, the timing never seems to be right. And I don't know. I think this year they just tried to get the best guy out of what's a decent, but not great group. Yeah. So that's, you know, and, and maybe that will change by the way they play, but that's, you know, there was sort of a, uh, at the mercy of the timing of, of the 2018 draft. Jeremy, you're, you're again, you know, the whole league, but you're around a, a franchise in the Steelers that is respected around the league as, as having that structure, right? That everybody, it's not just about the players in Pittsburgh, and you obviously, if you have a quarterback, that makes all the difference. But we know what people think of the Roonies and the way they run their team. Having, having seen Cleveland up close and having seen Pittsburgh up close, how much would you characterize, like, 
how much does that matter? Is it is it a coincidence that the Browns have been terrible for two decades since they came back, or is it obvious to you as you look at franchises around the league that the yeah. Browns' problems has been the the ownership structure, the way they do business, right. and it's not a coincidence. It's not bad luck. There's a fundamental flaw here in right. Cleveland. I mean, it's a well-worn theme, right? But you hear all the time about culture in the NFL and hierarchy and stabilization, and, but it just absolutely matters. Um, and so, you know, it's I'm not around there every day now in Cleveland, but you know, when I was there. And that was that was Johnny's first year, so everything mm-hmm. was a bit of a mess, right? And you know they won seven games; they were seven and four. Yep. Um, but you, there's just a if if you're in a building like Pittsburgh or places where you've won a long time or you've had the same coaches for a long time, there's just a security, I guess, when you walk around. Like you know, owner Dan Rooney, you know, when when he was alive, of course, passed away last year, but he was in the lunch line with everybody else, you know. Like you just walk around the building and everybody's just sort of around. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot to hide. There's not a lot of uh, of uh, anxiety about things or, or, yep. or secrecy. You know, it's yep. just hey, we we've won six Super Bowls, so we're we're happy. We got nothing to hide here, you know. And that that's that's pretty rare. Um, and so I think the you know the Browns, as a result of trying to find their way for a long time and, and just going through different regimes, you know, there's sort of a level of, of paranoia or maybe lack of identity. Yeah. Um, and so, that, yeah, I think that's, it's the hope of Dorsey and, and that crew that they can bring that stability over time. And that I think, you know, it picks like getting guys like Jarvis Landry, certain players, they're trying to set a tone and change that culture. Yep. Very good. Jeremy Fowler from ESPN. We know you're busy. Um, we admire your work. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day here on takes by the lake. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up during the season. Anytime, Doug. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. That's it for this Takes by the Lake. Thanks to Jeremy Fowler. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at jfowlerespn. Again, read me at cleveland.com. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks to you guys for listening to Takes by the Lake. We'll be back with something next week. Who knows what it'll be. Um, But there's too much in Cleveland sports to not find something to talk about. So, until then, thanks to Jeremy. Thanks to you guys. Then we'll talk to you next time.